This is a special episode of the Immunology Podcast, AAI 2022, T-Reg and Modulation with Dr. Alice Long. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Jason Goldsmith and Dr. Brenda Rowd. Welcome back to the Immunology Podcast, where we have conversations with immunologists. This week, we're bringing you three very special episodes of the Immunology Podcast straight from the American Association of Immunologists annual meeting, Immunology 2022. Today is our last episode. We'll be chatting with Dr. Alice Long from Benaroya Research Institute at Virginia Mason to discuss her talk on Treg modulation by IL-2 mutine therapy. But before we get to that, ensure reliable results with your immunology research. From primary human cells to cell isolation kits, culture media supplements, and antibodies, Stem Cell Technologies provides you the tools you need for every step of your immunology research. Interested in cell isolation? Use EasySEP to isolate highly purified immune cells from virtually any sample source in as little as eight minutes. Cells are viable, functional, and immediately ready for your downstream applications. Learn more at ecsep.com. All right, Brenda, it's the last one. We're almost yes. at the end of AAI here. Yeah. Well, all good things come to an end. So that's Luckily, okay. there's one next year. So that's always important to remember. Every year. Where, where is it next year again? Don't remember where it is next year. I think it was Washington, wasn't oh, it? Oh, is it, is it? Yeah. Is it Washington? DC. Wash, DC. Yeah. Why don't we jump to our conversation with our guest today? All right, sounds good. So continuing with our AAI special, uh, today is the last day of AAI, and we're really happy to have one more speaker invited to talk to us. Uh, this is Dr. Alice Long, who is an associate member at the Benaroya Research Institute at Virginia Mason in Seattle, so right in the neighborhood of Portland. And she's going to be talking to us about her two talks uh, that she gave on Saturday and Sunday and about her research on T-reg mutant therapy and CD8 uh, T-cell exhaustion. Hi, Dr. Long. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this is great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. All right, let's dive in. So uh, Brenda's favorite, one of her favorite T-cells or all immune cells is the T-reg, which has been mm -hmm. a running theme on uh, our, our show here. So diving in, uh, you do a lot of work in di type 1 diabetes, mm -hmm. and I'd, I'd love if you could give a high-level overview of the kind of critical role of Tregs in type 1 diabetes for our audience who may, you know about it from other autoimmunity, but you know, just because it's Tregs are important to one type of autoimmunity doesn't mean they're important in another type. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And type 1 really is the place where people started asking the questions about Tregs. Uh, mainly because of the um, IPEX BOXB3 mutations, which where Tregs are either mutated or gone. And these patients, one of the diseases they get are type 1 diabetes. And so this, and then it could also be very easily modeled in NOD mice, which are type 1 diabetic mice, essentially. And so really a lot of the field in asking about Tregs and therapies that can augment Tregs, like altamutines, et cetera, uh, have been done in the context of type 1 diabetes. And that was one of the earlier trials tried. You're working um, in the context of diabetes. I, I, I assume it's in the context of diabetes with IL-2 mutines uh, that are, I guess, directed against Tregs. Uh, did I understand correctly? Yeah. So... Um, I'm doing this work with the ITN and uh, Merck. And so IL-2 is a supportive cytokine for Tregs. 
But really, in each individual, that threshold of what expands Treg is a little different. And IL-2, if you're given in a higher dose, can activate cells, which is great for cancer, but not too good for autoimmunity. And so finding that narrow window has been tricky. So there's been a lot of effort, I would say, in the last uh, 10 to 20 years to improve upon uh, biology um, that, to make kind of super IL-2s. So whether that is uh, IL-2 mutine, where the affinity and, and specificity of the binding is mutated, or... There are other ways you can change the IL-2 molecule by adding an antibody complex, by pegylating it to make it more stable. So there's things that we call engineering um, that natural selection has not done to the molecule <laughs> that will improve upon its augmentation of Tregs. Can you give us an example of how you can uh, change an IL-2 molecule to make it uh, more specifically bind to T-Rex or, or not. Also, I think in the context of cancer, you want exactly the opposite thing, right? Yeah, there are a lot of people that are trying quite a uh, quite many approaches. Um, and so some of them um, are to mutate specific amino acids so that the binding to the IL-2 receptor is lower or higher affinity, but depending on your need. All right, and so where where is the field for this? So you talked about some of the initial trials for type one, we're trying to get Tregs to be engaged better. Where are we in, oh my God, I have signs of type one diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe I genetically screen people. I don't know where you're thinking on it, but like an early intervention on the Treg side of the fence to stave off the loss of the islet cells permanently. Where are we in, is this in a phase one state, phase two? Are we like, are there phase threes? going on? Is it still mostly preclinical? It's a mix. So the, the molecule itself, IL-2, uh, unmutated, is in later trials across autoimmune diseases. Um, and the engineered mutines and kind of all of the different varieties of engineered IL-2 molecules are on very much earlier trials, um, many of them just in healthy controls. So do you think then we're looking at like five years until we start seeing IL-2 being used in a context like this? Oh, wow. When you say being used, that's a tricky term. So um, in trials, for sure, type 1 diabetes is a hard bar. We're looking at finally, hopefully, fingers crossed, approving our first drug beyond insulin to treat type 1 diabetes. Um, so in comparison to other autoimmune diseases where there are many approved uh, drugs that are used to treat the disease, insulin to date is it for uh, people with type 1 diabetes. So for drug approval, I think we're a ways. Maybe other autoimmune diseases might get there a little faster, uh, but I do think it'll move faster also, particularly with prior experience with IL-2. Um, looking on the other side, so... Looking also in the, in the context of, of type 1 diabetes and T cell related um, diseases. So, you also having us, you had another talk on Saturday in which you talk about uh, T cell exhaustion. Was that also in the context of autoimmunity? It is, yeah. So, there are many ways you can regulate autoimmunity, which is a good thing. Our body would fall apart if we didn't have many ways to keep things in check. And so, uh, a lot of people know about CD8 T cell exhaustion in the context of cancer, where really it prevents um, 
destruction of the cancer and, and it's worse for the disease. But in autoimmunity, uh, there is a recent trial with anti-CD3 that's been done more than once that showed an expansion of CD8 exhausted cells. So these are cells that have the transcription factor eomes, um, express a lot of inhibitory factors and produce fewer levels of cytokine. Uh, and so these cells are associated with better outcome in those trials. So we took a step back and we said, well, wait a second, if we're seeing this signal in a trial, can we actually see it in the natural population if we look at a large, large enough population and ask just whether higher or lower levels of exhaustion overall could predict your disease status in, in essence. And so uh, in a large cohort, we had 100 healthy controls and 100 RA subjects, so rheumatoid arthritis now. Um, when we looked at those, the disease didn't discriminate between exhausted and not, but actually DR4 um, did. And this is an HLA class two uh, molecule that's associated with risk in RA. And if you have this genetic feature, the HLA DR4, then you had lower levels of CD8 exhaustion. And so this was really exciting because it wasn't something we induced in a trial. It's a large study. Um, it goes to predisp uh, predisposition of disease um, as opposed to something you therapeutically modulate with a drug. So are we thinking then that like end, end goal is you exhaust a subset of T cells that are self-identifying and that's a treatment. And so you don't exhaust all T cells. That would be real bad, obviously. Yeah. You can do a targeted exhaustion of self-identification so that you need less exogenous broad spectrum immunosuppression. You can exactly. Better. Yeah. Yeah. And that is kind of the way the field's going. That's another step in the future to target things in an antigen specific manner. That being said, I do think the type one diabetes is one of the autoimmune diseases where we know more of the antigens. Um, so we actually can move forward in that manner. I'm interested about that. Because on the one hand, you're, what you said is that a particular HLA type in CD4 cells is associated with exhaustion in CD8 cells, or also, or so you see also exhaustion in CD4 cells in the context of type 1 diabetes. Yeah, we don't see a screaming signal in the CD4. So yes, it, it is a bit of a quandary that HLA class 2 molecule, which typically talks to CD4s, is dictating a CD8 phenotype. Um, and so this is an association first, so let's not over interpret. However, it was reproduced in a second data set. Um, and there is evidence in the literature that the lack of CD4 help um, can lead to CD8 T cell exhaustion. So we need to design the experiments to ask these questions, but I would say that one probably leads to the second. So my question is, Tulsi, you talk, we know what are the targets of these T-cells in type 1 diabetes. So maybe, I actually don't know, what are exactly the, the proteins or the peptides that are being presented by uh, pancreatic islet cells that are being recognized by CD8s? Are there specific uh, antigens that, are, that are pop up? Yeah, there's some great work being done by people for a while now and continues. Um, and terms of identifying those antigens. Uh, so 
insulin, a, a lot of things, IGRP, GAD, zinc transporter eight, I'm just throwing out some words here for anybody to kind of follow. But really overall, there many of the antigens or many of the proteins that are in the beta islet cells that are in the machinery of the granules that force the insulin molecule to be secreted. So it's either the phosphatases involved in that process or the trafficking molecules, just any of those in those granules that are produced quickly and, and take a lot of energy to continually produce in a, in a beta cell and are identified as antigens. That being said, we're also seeing a lot of neoantigens very much in the cancer setting where, because the cells are working so hard to produce the insulin and maybe they're a little bit damaged and so they're even working harder, they're spitting out some proteins that have misfolded or have alterations. Um, and so those have been identified as antigens also in, in type one diabetes. So obviously you can get antigens because when you screw up a cell and make it die from an autoimmune reaction, then it releases particles, which are then identified as they should not be there. And then you derive antigens to those. And those are really what I would call secondary or incidental antigens. They're not the cause of the disease, but they're a marker of it because why do you have an antigen? You know, like, like for instance, I don't think autoantibodies to insulin or some of them are, or, or the intracellular phosphatase is probably what is initiating the, the type 1 diabetes because how would an immune cell ever encounter it internally? But then there's other surface markers. So uh, of that list that you gave, which are the ones that we think are pathogenic, which may be separate from pathognomonic or you know secondary bystander molecules that your body's going to pick up? Like, why do I see this phosphatase as an example? Do we know which ones are the big ones other than probably not an intracellular one? Uh, great question. And I think I would even say that it could be some of the intracellular ones. Um, as a protein that's made in the pancreas, we kind of have to live, learn as our body has to learn how to ignore it. Um, so it is recognized in some sense to know not to respond to it. And it might be that form of tolerance that's lost. Um, I don't think we know, and it actually differs from individual to individual. Uh, and in fact, even there's some type one diabetics that get insulin antibodies first, and they tend to be younger and more aggressive with disease. There are people that tend to have GAD antibodies first, and those are people that are a little bit older and have a little bit of slower disease. So there's some suggestion that the antigens are doing something different, but what that is and why they're recognized at different times and what that sequence is really has not been um, well parsed out quite yet. Yeah. Real quick on the phosphatases though, are the phosphatases secreted phosphatases or ones that are just like an intracellular phosphatase? Intracellular. Right. So yeah, it's interesting how they, that would ever be detected by an immune cell unless the immune cell attacked that. Well, I mean, they can be presented on yeah. MEC, peptides derived from these. If they're very abundant in this particular cells because they are, need them a lot, they're going to be, they're going to be more uh, proportionally more presented on the surface of the islet cells and other cells that just have a little bit of this phosphatases. So they don't, they have fewer molecules on their surface. I guess. 
<laughs> and <laughs> yeah. sorry, I just want I just want to say state of the field too. We sit here and all these things. You know, it's all about TCR. Yes, the TCR they see inside the cells. They don't need. I mean, true, but but simultaneously, you don't present everything in its own. They have the magical time. eyes. They see inside what's going on under the hood. That's why it makes sense. That's what makes it so special. And talking about special cells, I have kind of related to this conversation. Do we know? So you. You're aiming, so going back to the T-Rex, and I'm sorry, but I just need to ask. Going back to the T-Rex and, and their potential as a therapy for type, type 1 diabetes, are the T-Rex, do we know whether those T-Rex that are protective and that we want to maybe modulate, are they also recognizing uh, antigens that are uh, kind of eyelid-derived? Do they also have a specific antigen recognition that we have identified by now? Yeah, so people have uh, studied T-Regs in type 1 diabetic subjects and also mouse models where there are T-Regs that recognize eyelid antigens. Yep, and, the, and that knowledge is being used to kind of think about how to make the best T-Reg um, and provide that for somebody who would only attack the beta eyelid cells. Hmm. I like that. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of people doing exciting work in both of the fields of exhaustion and uh, T-reg regulation. So is there, do you think there's uh, the potential of overlap or again, like if you have, if you have type one diabetes in the models, the T-reg trying to stop the inappropriate reaction and maybe in like, I don't know if have you guys looked at sulfate, like people who get type one diabetes don't have T-regs to this islet cell protein and people who do get type 1 diabetes are missing that T-reg, like, like the lack of a specific T-reg to a islet cell is indicative that you'll get it? Yeah, we haven't found that quite yet. My, my sense is the data would argue against that hypothesis. Um, and I just study humans a lot. There's a lot of heterogeneity in people. I would expect the antigens to be different across many of people, but I don't know. It's a good question. Might be really hard also to follow people that at some point develop diabetes, but you don't know what happened before that. So, and also usually it's early when they're early on in life. So yeah, you yeah. don't have a lot of, you're not going to be sampling people randomly to see if all of a sudden they lose the T-Rex around their, their eyelids and that uh, precedes their development of diabetes. Of well, that being diabetes. said, there are a lot of really nice longitudinal studies that are being designed because people see the need to do that. And yeah. so there'll be a lot of consortium like, like TrialNet or um, many of the European consortiums that'll pull people in um, if you have a relative and you mm -hmm. will be oh. followed. So we can study that and ask those very precise questions because otherwise there's no other way to find that. I think one of the challenges is to marry the cohort collection, which is a challenge in and of itself, with the newest of technologies to run on those cohorts. And so those are, it's kind of a, a balanced walk. Right, and, then you, and then you get the cohorts, but the way the cohort's running, but it's not set up for what you need with, with, you know, with the newest technology and so how do you catch up to that? And then modify the cohort collection process. So you preserve the cells this way, or that. Yeah, it's it's a constant. I imagine it's a constant arm race. You see it like the Framingham Heart Study is really famous. That's been going on forever, but keeps getting updated to like be useful now. Yeah, right. it, which is exciting. Actually, it's fun to see the process. Yeah. 
So to kind of wrap up this section then, so it looks like you were saying we're hoping for a new drug for type one diabetes soon, but that the, that the, the T-reg is still kind of around the corner. Where do you see the field going in the next few years in terms of T-regs and diabetes? Like what, what's the hot question the universe is driving towards answering? Or if there is one. Yeah, I think it actually is the therapeutic question, which is why there's multiple avenues of people moving forward in that realm. Um, so I do think we'll see some trials in the next couple of years, um, whether they're approved, which I think is what you were asking earlier, is, is a little harder. There's a lot of basic biology that we still need to understand uh, about Tregs, um, how to maintain their, their function, how to augment their function. Um, uh, so I think there's a lot of effort in that realm also. And that would spread all the way from really basic studies uh, with mouse and biochemical um, experiments all the way up to human trials. I really hope that immunotherapy for for uh, type 1 diabetes will, will be reached at some point. Uh, I, I work in the cancer immunotherapy field and it just makes sense that uh, if you if, if the immune system is broken, you know you should fix that, and and that would be, uh, but of course we need to understand best what better what is that it's working uh, poorly, and then focus on that. And I think uh, although we're very early stages, um, uh, this modulation of the good guys kind of increasing increasing the function of the good guys and exhausting the bad guys seems like a good starting point for a future in immunotherapy of, of, of type 1 diabetes in particular and many other. Of course, there's many other uh, autoimmune diseases. I guess that, do you think some of what we learn in, in, in the case of uh, type 1 diabetes also applies for, as you mentioned, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, for example, or other, uh, well, I don't know, MS, things like that, that are, uh, yeah, devastating autoimmune diseases. Where do, where do you think there's is the most important shared um, topic that you as a researcher in this area um, think about? Yeah, uh, most shared topic. That, uh, uh, I think it is regulation because that's what we do want to do and do it well early so we can prevent the kind of destructive and chronic nature of these autoimmune diseases. Um, because a lot of the research once you get into more severe disease is a, a much harder balance where you're trying to correct the immune system, but at the same time, kind trying to regenerate and fix the target organ, uh, whether that's the pancreas, the brain, uh, the joints. Um, so it's a little, a lot more moving parts to, to fix at once. Yeah. I am also hopeful that we're going to get this regulation and kind of figured out maybe in the next 10 years. I don't know if we'll have anything approved in a single autoimmune disease mm -hmm. by then, but um, definitely tested in trials. I'm sure you and, uh, and Alice here could talk about Tregs all day, Brenda, because I know just how close they are to your heart, but, but we, we sometimes have to move on. Um, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. We always want to ask a, kind of a fun question to end things up. So for you, Alice, if you had to do, could do a hobby, that did not involve T cells. What would it be? And you, you know, never, you've not had time to do this hobby because of all the T cell work. What would it be, and why? Yeah, so I do it this a teeny bit on the side, anyways. But I would do some ceramics. 
I, I would throw pots. What type? Do you do like vases and then all your friends get a, a ceramic vase for their birthday? Or are you doing some uh, some nice and functional or very... What, what's your style? Do you go very bold on your designs or it's more like something functional that, you know, might actually uh, have a use? <laughs> yeah, something in between because the use one is hard. I'm not good enough quite yet to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like to give those to people. <laughs> um, but if you could do something that's a tiny bit functional, but that you make it quirky or just kind of give it a fun nature or a lot of color with the glazes, then uh, that makes it a lot of fun and a little less pressure to be something that really works well. <laughs> no holes in it, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> oh, <it's cool>. <laughs> exactly here's a vase for your flowers like but it has a hole in the bottom well you know that's where it was stuck to the rotating machine for the ceramics i'm that's nothing i can do about it but i do hope you you will use it well thank you very much for coming on and it's been a pleasure here with the, all the stuff going on in ai to get to talk to you yeah i hope you enjoyed and i hope all our listeners enjoyed ai uh those who could attend enjoy the meeting uh I think it was very was it nice to see people in person again. I mean things oh, actually physically. Yeah. Well again, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That brings us to the end of our show. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at www.immunologypodcast.com to get the show notes, including an episode summary and links to all the interview and roundup papers. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at, at @immunopodcast or via email at info@immunologypodcast.com at with feedback or suggest guests. See you next time.